Good morning, church family. My name is Caleb, and I serve as one of the pastors here, uh, whether you're joining us online or in person. I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, we're going to continue on in a study in the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 6 today. If you're joining us in person, you should have that available. I think that, you guys get a handout with that on there. So the text that we're going to be reading there is uh, in the handout for those of you joining us online. If you have a print Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one. Again, we'll be in Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a print Bible, no problem. Just go to like Bible.com and there's some uh, free Bibles available. Again, we'll be in Mark chapter 6 today. Um, so before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine, uh, Allison. Uh, Allison, would you join me up here? Allison is going to share with us a little bit about a really cool ministry that she is part of. Uh, Allison, welcome. Thank you. And so would you tell us a little bit about who you are, how you came to Desert Springs? I am Allison Lefevre, and I found Desert Springs because two of my four kids have gone to preschool here, and now we go to church here. We love it. That's awesome. Uh, and you uh, are a part of a ministry called Something So Worth It. Would you tell us what the ministry is? Yeah, so my husband and I started Something So Worth It about three years ago in honor of two of our sons that have spina bifida, and it's a nonprofit organization and we benefit children with disabilities and their families and caregivers. We do that from the point of diagnosis, which is often when a mother is pregnant, learning that her child may live with a disability, and we can relate to what that feels like, uh, through hardship, which is often hospital stays, and beyond when families lose a child. And so uh, this ministry is um, just a few years old, I think. Is that right? Yeah, three years. Yeah, and we just had um, a, a large event on our campus here just a few weeks ago, the, the Marketplace. Tell us about that. Yay, I'm sure some of you were there. <laughs> Thanks. It was so much fun. Um, the All Abilities Marketplace, it was our second annual event here at Desert Springs, and I kind of describe it as a kids' craft fair open market. All of the vendors were children, and we invite kids of all abilities, so about half have disabilities and half don't, because we really want to encourage kids coming together in a positive way. And all of the kids um, made their own products and sold them to the community and got to keep all of their own money and really be featured in a positive way for their strengths and capabilities. And then, of course, it was really family friendly with like food trucks and musicians and mini horses. And it is my favorite day of the year. That's awesome. So uh, we're going to be looking forward to that for next year. Uh, in the meantime, what do you have going on? We have a lot of great programs. If you go to our website, somethingsoworthit.org, or we're on Instagram and Facebook. But we have monthly roundtable dinners for parents of special needs children. Um, it's a free dinner, and we usually have topics like diagnosis day, or it's a place where families can learn from one another, focus on their mental health, and sort of speak a language that nobody else speaks. Um, we also just are kicking off our first respite retreat for special needs moms. It's an all-inclusive paid trip for moms to actually have a chance to recharge, which is very rare for them. And then our big event coming up on March 6th, uh, just in a few weeks here, is our annual fundraiser called the Great Arizona Lemonade Stand. 
And uh, basically, we have stands all across the valley. Our goal is to have 50-plus lemonade stands. And it's a way for any of us to get involved in charity from the comfort of our home and get our kids and family and neighbors involved. We bring everything to you that you need for the lemonade stand, which includes the lemonade, the signage. Really, all you need to have is a table and some water to mix the lemonade and a positive attitude. And all of those donations and proceeds go to our charity. Charity. Um, so it's so much fun. There's also all of that information on the website. And then if you wanted to level up your stand, we have fun ideas about that. Like I like to blast the Beach Boys from mine. That's awesome. So that's March 6th. Yep. And so it's kind of like it's after church. People hit it up on the way home. Yeah. There's over 50 locations around. And if we want to host, what's the website again? Somethingsoworthit.org. We still need people to sign up for lemonade stands. Or um, if you click on find the nearest stand, find a stand near me, it will have an interactive map with all the stands across the valley. You find the one closest to you, click on it, and it'll give you directions. So after church, you can swing on by and have lemonade. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Can we say thank you to Allison? Thanks for sharing with us. Thank you. And as I am uh, often known to do, I just want to throw it, like our family is going to be hosting a lemonade stand. And so I just want you to know, Allison didn't mention this, she doesn't even know this, but there will be a ranking of who has the best lemonade stand. Um, she won't do it, she's a kind, courteous person. I will be ranking, and I just want you to know, the Campbell, Campbell household, number one. We've already got it on lock, so just set your expectations appropriately for the decorations for your lemonade stand, because the Campbells are going to crush it this year. All right, so... Um, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to go through Mark chapter 6, and uh, what we've been doing during this series is we've been starting our time together uh, with the Word and just listening to the Word. We know that uh, the Scriptures were by and large artistically designed to be engaged primarily with our ears uh, before our eyes. I, I love reading the Bible. I want to encourage you guys. You, I think you should read the Bible a lot. Uh, but we also want to connect ourselves to this ancient tradition of hearing the Word. And so what I encourage you to do uh, is to just listen. And to, if, you, if closing your eyes is helpful, uh, for those of you joining us online, I know it is kind of weird with the screen and everything, but, but we'll get through this together. Um, I want to just encourage you to allow your imagination to see uh, as you hear the words and just be attentive to what God might be uh, speaking to you or even revealing to you as you hear this word. Uh, and I do want to kind of give a little bit of a heads up. Uh, today's, th this particular uh, section of Scripture is really, really difficult. Uh, I don't mean it's, it's, it, I don't mean complicated difficult. I mean it's just difficult to hear. And I think that you'll see why here in a minute. And so I'm going to try to do this as pastorally uh, as I can. Um, but I, I would encourage you, even though it's going to be difficult to hear, would you just allow yourself to receive the word and then just be attentive uh, to what the Spirit of God is doing? And so this is Mark chapter 6. Speaking of Jesus, it says that he left there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his own hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet 
is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. Then he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except for a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once, she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head so that he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. Then John's disciples heard about it and they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. So we have a very, very difficult portion of Scripture to navigate through. So what I'd like to do now is just kind of go through, kind of line by line, and just notice some things and see if we can discern why it is that we've got this, frankly, really disturbing teaching uh, and also a really interesting structure. I don't know if you guys heard the structure, uh, but we went quite quickly from Jesus being denied in his hometown to Jesus sending out his disciples and then quite quickly, we're kind of on a time machine all the way back to a scene where John is beheaded. 
And what I, uh, one of the things I didn't read that we'll pick up in a later sermon is that immediately following this, Jesus' disciples come back. And so that's sandwiched in this little space where uh, Jesus sends his disciples. You get this kind of bizarre scene of John the Baptist, and then the disciples come back. So why is this preserved for us today? So let's see if we can tease out some things. First, just notice. Let's notice where Jesus was. So immediately before this, if you guys were with us uh, last week, you remember in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 that Jesus had healed uh, uh, the woman with the flow of blood. He had healed the dude who uh, had a legion of demons. He had healed um, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And immediately after that, it picks it up here, that he left there where the daughter was, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples did what? They followed him. What does a disciple do? They follow, right? So just this, the, the, the most basic understanding of what a disciple is is someone who what? Follows Jesus, right? So Jesus is going back to his hometown, and they follow him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Now, I just want to notice, where is Jesus? He went back to where? His hometown, okay? So he's back home. So just I want you to get in your minds, Jesus is going back home, right? He sees all of his homies from high school, right? He remembers the, 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 the tasty freeze, right? What was that song, um, a little ditty about Jack and Diane? Is that, am I remember that right? Something about the tasty freeze, right? So Jesus is going back home to his small town, and he starts teaching in the synagogue, okay? So kind of like, like, uh, like teaching in a church, although it is different. There's a lot of nuance to it, but kind of like the same thing. And he's teaching, and what is his homies, what's his hometown's response? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? They are astonished. They're shocked to see you know, Jesus, uh, the, the dude they knew growing up, they're kind of shocked, right? So check this out. Isn't this the carpenter? So that word carpenter, it could also be translated as just a builder or a worker. Isn't this the carpenter, the son at TV timeout? Oh my goodness. Are you guys ready to, be, to, to gasp in, in horror? Get yourselves ready. Because, and here's why, and I just want to catch you up to speed. Uh, in, uh, in my culture, right, you refer to someone by usually two, sometimes three names. Two names like Caleb Campbell. Three names if you're my mom and you're, and you're mad at me, right? Caleb Eugene Campbell with an emphasis on the middle to signify a severe beatdown that's coming my way. So Caleb Eugene. So you refer to somebody, Caleb Campbell, right? And, but in the, old, in the ancient mind, it wasn't that way. You would often refer to somebody uh, by their, their given name, right, like Jesus, and then you would say like their dad's name, like, like Caleb the son of Stephen, right? Especially if you were in your hometown, because there might be a few Calebs kicking around, and well, which Caleb is it? And you say, well, it's Caleb the son of Stephen. Almost always, even in, um, uh, in the majority of cultures, you refer to the child uh, or the person by their dad's name. It would have been, in Jesus' time, uh, un, uh, excuse me, not normal. In fact, it might have even been offensive to refer to someone by their mom's name. Now, do you guys remember Christmas? There's this thing in the Christmas story where uh, you notice the detail that Mary is not yet married to Joseph when she gets pregnant. Now, in a small town, could you imagine, and by the way, the Scripture says that she, was, uh, she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you think everyone in her hometown was like, 
cool. That's definitely what happened. No. Okay, uh, if you'll pardon my French, earmuffs time, but this is in the King James, and I'm going to use it technically, and so just deal with your life. They're calling Jesus a bastard. Isn't this Mary's bastard? And the reason that I think that we should receive it in that level of uh, is because they're, they're, they're resisting him. Who is this? Right? Here, Jesus, we saw you, you know, playing with the cat growing up. Like, you can't be bringing this teaching. Aren't you the son of, they don't say Joseph, because they remember. Right? It was just a few years ago for them. And, the, and, and, and don't you have brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't, aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were what? Notice Jesus has not yet on record in his hometown done anything really offensive, right? What was he doing? He was teaching the Word of God at church, and he was healing people, and he was casting out demons, and they are oh, <laughs> shocked and offended, right? Just notice it, right? They are offended. Another way to translate uh, the word in, in Greek would be uh, they stumbled over him. He was a stumbling block or a stumbling rock. They stumbled. They just could not see it. And I just want to notice that not everyone who meets Jesus wants to follow Jesus. I just, you guys are catching that so far? Like not everybody who is introduced to Jesus wants to follow Jesus. In fact, they're offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet. Okay, time out. Now, in your Bible, which, by the way, later today, instead of watching the Super Bowl, you should just read your whole Bible, okay? Uh, I've already done it once, so I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, but you guys need to catch up. So, uh, <laughs> uh, hypocrite, hypocrite, right? That's the word. Um, so, uh, uh, whenever you get a chance to read your whole Bible, one of the things that you'll notice is you read your whole Bible, and you read it from Genesis all the way to, to Revelation, is that there is this kind of this figure or this office or this posture of a prophet. Now, what does a prophet do? Prophet, by and large, uh, will speak the truth of God to people, sometimes the people of God, sometimes other people, and usually what the prophet will do. So a lot of us have in our minds, well, a prophet like tells the future. Yeah, you know, not in the way that we think. They're usually saying, if you don't turn from your own way and turn back to God, you're all going to die or you're going to get crushed or the enemies are going to come take us over. It's usually that type of language. But the primary call is the call to, hold on, repentance. And a lot of us, we recoil at that word, oh, repentance, because we heard a bunch of fire and brimstone sermons. You know, you better turn before you burn. Now, Jesus is not calling us to repentance so that, out of a motivation to not burn. He wants a relationship with us. I, I have a real big concern that too often, I mean, if you, if you go to anybody and you're like, hey, would you rather spend your eternity burning in an eternal flame or not? What does everybody pick? Not. That doesn't mean I want to follow Jesus. That just means I don't want to do that, right? Jesus doesn't posture his call to repentance in that way. The prophets would say, turn back to your father, turn back to God, right? The prodigal son, turn back because your father who is in heaven wants a relationship with you. And if you don't do that, it will lead to your destruction. But the primary emphasis is on the father wants you turn to him. Okay, so repentance is, so it's an over like spiritualized word in our cultural context. Here's what repentance means. It means I'm going this way in my mind and in my actions and repentance is turning. 
right? It's changing my mind, changing my behavior. It's turning. It's kind of an all-at-once thing. I'm turning back to God. I'm going to turn to God. That's repentance, right? Okay, so we're going to see that. And what the prophets would do is they would come in and usually, notice this, when you read through your whole Bible, just notice who the prophets primarily are speaking to. They are primarily speaking to the affluent and the powerful. Rarely, if ever, do the prophets target the poor and disenfranchised. In fact, they're usually calling out the powerful because they're taking advantage of the poor and the disenfranchised. And this is going to matter. Just, just hang with me. I promise this is going to really matter. Just wait. Okay? Okay, here we go. So the prophets say, the prophets would proclaim to kings, right? So kings who would uh, 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 be going their own way or leading the people on their own way. The prophets would come in and they would say, king or kings or affluent or powerful, turn. Now, how, okay. How do you think that message was generally received? If you were to go to powerful people and say, what you're doing is anti-God or ungodly, stop and believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel, and you kept saying it, what would end up happening to you most likely? You would be removed, right? Someone would use their power to shut you up. Okay, this is going to matter. Just hold, just go, just come on, let's go, come on, follow me. Okay. Oh, Notice what, okay, here we are. Jesus is where? In his hometown, right? He hasn't really done any prophetic work yet, at least on record in his hometown, but they're still there. Like he gave them a little bit and they're like, ah, offense. Notice Jesus' title for himself, okay? Have you guys ever heard the word prophet before? Watch. Jesus said to them, a he refers to himself. He tethers himself to the prophets. He is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was, now this is crazy, and I'm not going to resolve the tension for us. He was not able. He was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands, except that he did a miracle there. <laughs> except that he uh, healed a few sick people and healed them. And I just, I, 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 I so... Uh, in, in preparing for this, I've engaged with a lot of different commentators, and none of their answers really made me feel like it was an answer, it, or my tension was resolved. So I'm going to pass on to you my own tension. I'm not going to solve it. I'm not going to resolve it. I just want to notice that somehow Mark, in his mind, understands that Jesus is not able to do a miracle there, or a lot of miracles there, because of their resistance or the, the absence of, of, of faith, perhaps. It, it may be that Mark understands this to be a domain in which the kingdom of darkness has a stronghold. It may be. I just want to notice it, right? Like, you can't get away from the fact it's right there. And how that all works together, I'm not sure, because, because what's so striking to me, I want to meet Mark one day and be like, Brosif, you said here he couldn't do a miracle. Then you said he did miracles. What are you, what? Why? Help me, right? But when that happens, I'll probably be dead, so I don't have any help for us today. If I get a time machine, though, I'll come back and tell you. Uh, he was amazed. Notice, Jesus was what? This is great. He was amazed at their unbelief. He, these are his people. These are his own. These are his homies. These are his crew. And 
Their unbelief is so great that Mark seems to think that he's not able to do a miracle there. Not everyone who knows Jesus wants to follow Jesus. Not everyone who meets Jesus wants Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Are you guys encouraged yet? Let's keep going. Notice we, we change up the pace. Then he summons the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Notice what Jesus does. He takes his disciples. So what has Jesus just experienced in his hometown? Rejection, resistance, right? They're just not believing him. And now what does he do, right? If you're one of Jesus' disciples and you just got done with that little episode and Jesus is like, okay, you guys go out. Can we have an encouraging moment, Jesus? Like, can we get a win in our column, please, before you send us out? Notice he sends them out what? Two by two. Probably because, at least my understanding, and Morna Hooker, who's a uh, great, great theologian, New Testament scholar, she points this out that the... That the um, in that society, you needed to have at least two witnesses for the claim to be valid in any sort of like legal setting, right? So he's sending them out two by two, likely so that they have two, kind of have two witnesses. Uh, he sends them out in pairs. Okay, for, for those of you guys who've been following along, from what you can tell up until this point in the story, are these people ready? Like, are they qualified to go out and basically do what Jesus has been doing. Notice that gives it authority over unclean spirits. He says, go out and preach. Go proclaim the good news of the gospel. Go heal people. Go cast out demons. And they're like, we can't even plan our own lunch. Okay. Notice. Let's, 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 get, let's get into this for a second. What is it that qualifies, qualifies a person to minister in the name of Jesus? Is it seminary degree, decades of training, completing some program, getting a certificate, or is it the fact that Jesus, way before they're ready, gives them authority? Option B, right? So, for those of us who have a a sense that the Spirit of God is guiding us to minister in a certain way or to lead in a certain way, but maybe we're feeling a little bit reticent. We're feeling a little bit like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I'm going to tell you the truth is your pastor. You absolutely are not ready. But ready ain't on the list of qualifications. What's on the list? Authority came from Jesus. So if you feel like Jesus is leading you to do the thing, go for it. And let, let me just tell you how life works. Okay, I get this question. My te- teammates will ask me like, hey, uh, you know, are you ready for the sermon today? Are you ready to give the sermon today? And I, almost every time I answer like this, I'll be ready when it's over. When my wife was pregnant with our first uh, child, Michaela, people would ask me, are you ready to have a kid? And I, I would respond with, I think I'll be ready when they leave the house. Because I, 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 at least in my life, follow, especially following Jesus, I never feel ready. Do you? In fact, I, I want to actually push, I want to a little bit here and say, usually it's in those moments of when I feel ready, that pride, arrogance, a lack of humility starts to creep in and I actually do more damage because I'm going by my own strength than by the Lord's. I, I think that the Lord wants us to 
step out and minister and lead and serve, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. Okay, so, 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 so follow Jesus into that space. Don't wait for a certificate. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except for a staff. This does not mean employees. It means like, you know, you guys with me? Walking staff? Okay, no bread, which really puts teeth into the prayer that he, uh, he teaches them. Give us this day, our daily bread. Uh, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. No money. But to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt, not even an extra shirt. Why? What do these disciples have to give? Nothing. Except the good news that the kingdom of God is here. They have nothing to give. They can't even give someone a ride or a handout. Right? Someone comes up to them and says, hey, I'm poor, give me some money. I have nothing to give to you. In fact, Peter actually says this in the book of Acts. I got nothing. Silver and gold, I don't have it. But what I do have is the ministry of the good news of the kingdom of God. Also, would you say yes to this? Like, this is the worst marketing campaign I've ever seen in my whole life, right? Here, <laughs> here's our 2022 vision campaign. Don't, don't take anything with you except for a staff. Pledge cards, everyone? He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you when you leave there, and now here's this thing, here's this kind of this little idiom, shake the dust off your what? Shake the dust off your feet. And it's an act of, he, he defines it here, as a testimony against them. This is very prophetic. This is how the prophets would work. Like if you're, so notice, Jesus refers to himself as a prophet. Then he sends out his followers to go proclaiming the good news. And then he says, if people won't have you, has this ever happened before in Jesus' lifetime where he goes into a town and people won't have him and he can't even do a miracle there? Jesus is assuming, notice, Jesus is assuming that what happened to him will happen to his followers. So if you're getting resistance as a Jesus follower for following Jesus or being faithful to him, just want to encourage you, that's totally normal. It happened to Jesus, it'll happen to his followers. So they went out and preached that people should what? Right? Turn, right? And is that a popular message? Especially for those whose lives are made quite easy by continuing to pursue our own way. So um, Frederick Douglass said this, uh, men do not love those who remind them of their sins unless they have a mind to repent. When you call people to repentance, when you, when you speak truth to power, when you, when you proclaim to somebody, this is not right, this is anti-God, this is not the way of the kingdom of God, turn from that and turn towards Jesus, that is met only with resistance unless the Spirit is doing a, repent, a work of repentance in their hearts. Like the natural response to that is, pound sand, bruh. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Notice this, that they not only proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, but they live it. Right? 
This, this idea that we're to segregate the, procl- the proclamation from the living of the good news of the gospel, it's so f- foreign to the gospel of Mark. There is no such command in your scripture, just preach the gospel. It's always the proclamation and the life because the, the gospel is that the kingdom is here. So I'm going to live it now, baby. Don't you want to do that too? Let's go. Here we go. Ah, we're introduced to a new character. Now, one of the things that we know uh, historically is that Herod was not actually a king. He was a tetrarch, which means that he, he was like an underling in the Roman hierarchy, okay? In fact, one of the things that uh, we know through history is that Herod actually kind of was like kicked out. He was, uh, he was removed from his position because he kept petitioning his authorities to call him king. This happened before Mark wrote his gospel. I think that Mark is making fun of Herod. I think he's saying, King Herod. Okay? Right? And if you think that's beyond the biblical authors, read your Bible all the way through today. You'll find it all over the place. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. We haven't heard from John the Baptist since chapter 1. And he's evidently dead. Did you know that? Okay, well, let's keep going. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah, which was an old, guess what Elijah was? He was like the, 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 the like prophet like par excellence, okay? Elijah was like the most prophety prophet, okay? Still others says he's a, what's the word? Prophet, like uh, one of the prophets from long ago. By the way, do you know what usually happened to the prophets? They would come in and they would proclaim, they would speak and make proclamations calling people to repentance, and a bunch of people wouldn't like that, so guess what, do you think they lived a long time? At least from the part of when their message started? They got beat up, run out of town, killed? That's the job of a prophet. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded has been Raised. That's interesting. Okay, now what we're going to do something interesting. Um, so um, Mary Healy, who's a, a New Testament scholar, she, she notices something, and, I, and I'm in agreement. Um, this is the longest portion of Mark's gospel that isn't directly about Jesus. You're now going to get a very lengthy, at least in perspective of Mark, you're going to get a very lengthy little excursus on the beheading of John the Baptist. And this is the longest portion in Mark's gospel that's not about Jesus. Or is it? <laughs> you guys are... Watch this. Now, I just, you guys have heard of uh, Good Friday and Easter? Okay, I want you to get that in your space, right? Kind of get that in your brain. Remember that Jesus was uh, betrayed into the hands of not only religious leaders, but also the, the Roman government? There was this dude named Pilate who didn't really want to kill Jesus, but because of the pressure of those in the community, he actually had Jesus executed. Okay, so let's just have that in our minds right now uh, as we watch this, because this is the longest portion of the Gospel of Mark that's not about Jesus, but it might be about Jesus. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. What, who was Herod? Wait, what? Because he married her. Wait, what? what? What did Herod do? 
he married Herodias, who used to be married to whom? His brother Philip. And from what I could tell, uh, Philip's still alive. Like, this isn't a, a widow situation. In fact, could it be possible that a person who has kingly power might just take someone's, someone's person for their own self? This has like hints of David and Bathsheba, maybe. Okay, he just takes for himself. Okay, so he takes Philip because he had married her. John had been telling Herod. Now, what, what was John, uh, John the Baptist? Remember, he was kind of like the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, like a prophet. Notice, 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 notice. Remember what Jesus called his own self? Prophet, okay? John had been telling Herod, right? It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. What was the message that John was giving to Herod? Repent, right? Herod, this is not right. Now, why was John the Baptist in Herod's face telling him about this? It may be because John recognized that when the leadership is corrupt, it actually, it, it, it propagates corruption across the entire community. So it's interesting just to notice that John the Baptist gets directly into Herod's face. And uh, so Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to cancel him. This is where cancel culture started. She wanted to kill him. She didn't like what he said, so she's holding a grudge, and she wants to do what? Okay, for those of you who were here uh, the last couple weeks, there was this scene where Jesus was healing, casting out demons, and then the, um, uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees started plotting together to do what to Jesus because they did not like what he was saying. Okay, this, so this might be about Jesus. This might be a foreshadowing, Okay. So what's happening to John has also happened to Jesus so far. But she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportune time. Opportune for whom? An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. Who's at the table? All the powerful people, Right? And, and by the way, they're all made wealthy based on Herod's corruption. So like the message of repent, Herod, repent and believe the good news of Jesus would likely have not gone well with almost anyone at this gathering. It's also interesting too, as you read through the gospels, the poor and the marginalized almost always get it. And the wealthy and powerful almost always, almost always, not always, but almost always can't even see. It's, it's actually quite rare in the Gospels for that to happen. And here you've got all the power, right? When, Hero, uh, when Herodias' own daughter, notice this. this is, by the way, this is, um, well, let me, okay, I'm a pastor, so find the word. Um, this is not godly. Okay, I just want to just, I'm going to read it out loud. I'm not going to make a lot of commentary. Don't use your imagination. Let's just notice that this is, this is not good. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, this is not ballet. If you made a movie of the Bible, it'd be rated R. I just want to be very clear, okay? She pleased Herod, and this, this section is not in my children's Bible, okay? She pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, at, okay, so she's obviously done something to get this king to say these words, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. 
Thank you. This is shocking. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to what? Half my, what is on offer here? This is one of those like enormous publisher's clearinghouse blank checks. You can have anything, up to half my kingdom. Notice the bitter irony. So she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. Not like a boat? We could use a boat, mom, right? You want a, a, he's already in prison. The man is already imprisoned. He's already in chains. And yet you want his head cut off? All right, cool. What's interesting to me is the daughter's like, cool. And she at once hurried to the king and said, I want you, she even doubles down on the cruelty. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head what? She wants to serve it up on a platter immediately, right? The cruelty just expounds. Uh, although the king was deeply distressed, kind of like Pilate, because of his O's and the guests, the what? Yeah, huh. He did not want to refuse her. So the king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. Notice that the king is afraid of a desert-dwelling, locust-eating prophet with no army or dollar to his name. Yeah, the word of God is powerful. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. Merry Christmas. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. John doesn't come out of a tomb, Jesus does. That's the big difference. But here's, here's where I want to zoom in, just for, just for a brief moment, and then we'll conclude. Notice that this scene of John's beheading immediately, or quite quickly, follows Jesus, the rejection that Jesus experienced among his own people in Nazareth, and it's sandwiched in between the sending out of his disciples and the return of his disciples in verse, I think it's 30. You guys can double check me, right? So the sending out, then there's this pause and you get the big, long John the Baptist section and then it breaks and then you're back to the disciples coming back and reporting to Jesus everything that they did and saw. Why? Why? Why would Mark like sandwich, kind of like violently, at least literarily, violently sandwich this story in between the sending out and the return of the disciples. Here's my current thinking, and I'd encourage you, because I think this, is the, this portion of Scripture, I think, is communicating this truth. Oftentimes, following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus will be met with resistance. Speaking Jesus, the, the truth of God, into spaces that don't want to hear it, especially those who have, you know, the levers of power, will often be met with resistance and sometimes even violence. So when that day comes, when the family rejects you like Jesus, right? when the king orders your execution like John, when the, 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 the seat of power pushes against what you're doing, just want to encourage you, don't recognize that as a failure of following Jesus. Notice that Jesus calls his, sends his disciples out, and then you get this, this really gory, violent, horrible account of what may happen to us if we follow Jesus. Because we're following him into the dark, broken, and messed up spaces of the world. So that resistance that you may be feeling as you're trying to follow after Jesus, that may be completely normal. 
And here's why. It happened to Jesus. It happened to John. It's going to, later in the text, happen to his disciples. And if we're to be a disciple of Jesus, I don't think it's a question of if the resistance is going to come. I think the question is how and when. Here's the good news. Do you remember the authority? Remember we talked about the ready game? Like, are we ready for this? Are you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready for Herod? Are you ready for the people of Nazareth to deny you? Are you ready for that? No, you won't be. But ready isn't in the qualifications. What is? Remember that Jesus gave them authority. And for every follower of Jesus, the spirit of the living God indwells within us. And day by day and moment by moment, as we follow after Jesus, when that resistance comes, his spirit empowers us to continue on. And here's, here's the jam. Though the narrative ends with a tomb in chapter 6, the book ends with a resurrection, which means that no matter what resistance may come our way, even if it be death, death does not have the final say, for the kingdom of life is here. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks. Would you help us by the power of your spirit to walk this way as we face Herod and even our own townspeople, many of us, even our own families. Lord, would you instill within us your grace and your mercy that we might be a people of grace and mercy, also conviction and truth, that we would not be working by our own might and power, but by the spirit of the living God. So we submit ourselves to you, knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring these things about, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next time.